How can companies overcome analysis paralysis and get people to think differently about connecting decoupled data and devices into infrastructure? How can business leaders expecting IIoT to disrupt operations have a comprehensive strategy moving forward? On this podcast, we have industrial professionals answer these questions and discuss the role of IIoT and MQTT in business and building more secure and efficient architectures. This is Inductive Conversations with Don Pearson and today's guest, Arlen Nipper, the co-inventor of MQTT. First, let me welcome you and thanks so much for taking some time today, Arlen. Thanks, Don. I'm looking forward to the interview. Well, let's jump in. Uh, First off, MQTT. How'd you get into it in the first place, for God's sakes? This isn't your first rodeo. How'd you get into that? So... Um, the background on how I invented him or Andy and I invented MQTT is that when I came out of Oklahoma State in 1978, I went to work for Coke Oil. Coke Oil had just started putting out all their pipeline systems from the refinery in Oklahoma down to Texas to the plastic plants. So I had a lot of experience in putting in SCADA systems, putting in tank farm control systems, and just SCADA in general. Well, after that, I co-founded a company called Novatech that were in the business of building protocol converters because now we're in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and we had all of these legacy pole response protocols and people wanted to upgrade them. They wanted to have newer protocols, and we were in the basically the protocol conver- conversion business. Then if you look at it, around the middle 1990s, a very disruptive thing happened to our industry in that AT&T got deregulated. Now you have to realize that at that point in time, probably 95, 98% of all of our SCADA infrastructure in the United States were using multi-drop phone lines as provided by AT&T. They were heavily subsidized. They were motivated to go out and help you troubleshoot your industrial control systems and your communication circuits. Well, after the deregulation, costs skyrocketed, quality went completely out the window. So a new technology came in with the advent of uh, the very small dish VSAT systems. So now we had AT&T, Tritum, Gillette, GE, uh, SpaceNet, Gillette, uh, Scientific Atlanta, and everybody were putting out VSAT systems, but now we had a double problem in that everybody had their own proprietary VSAT transport. So now we had legacy pole response protocols with proprietary transports. So in that, we invented a protocol with, with AT&T called SNET. It was kind of the precursor, if you will, to MQTT. Well, in the late 1990s, we were working on a project with Philips 66, and they had finally gotten a pure TCP IP-based VSAT system. And we were trying to figure out how to get more information over limited bandwidth and keep the response times even faster from their control equipment out in the field. So having IBM was were working on a project around the same time. So that's when Andy Stanford Clark and I got introduced. And we basically took the 20 years of experience that I had had in SCADA and all these pole response protocols and all the experience that Andy had in applying message-oriented middleware technology, so service-oriented architectures, what we know today as enterprise service bus, and we kind of smashed those two things together. And what came out of that effort is what we all know today as MQTT. That's a great intro story. 
but I think I need to back up just for a second. Message queuing telemetry transport, MQTT. What is it? Well, Don, it's actually quite simple. And I think that's the reason it's still around after 20 years. Uh, it's really nothing more than there's two components you need for MQTT architecture. You need an MQTT client and you need an MQTT server. Now, the client could be a flow computer, it could be a PLC, it could be an edge of network gateway, it could be any sensor out in the field. And it basically can connect into an MQTT server and publish information when it changes. So therein, you get the bandwidth efficiency because you're not constantly polling for things that didn't change. Now, on the application end, applications like a SCADA host system like Ignition or maybe a data historian like OSIPI can connect in and it can subscribe to the information that we're publishing. So that's why these systems are, you know, a lot of times are called pub-sub systems. We're publishing process variables to applications that are subscribing to those process variables. So what we're seeing with that pub-subscribe methodology is that it's very bandwidth frugal and allows you to do a lot of data. And we're seeing things that maybe some people know about, but they don't know why it makes so much sense. Uh, but Facebook Messenger, uh, to, to name one, or Amazon Echo are using MQTT as a transport protocol. So they are do volumes and volumes of data across large numbers of users. And it almost seems like, even though you guys did this 20 years ago, that there's either a rebirth or an acceleration of adoption or, or something started happening again in the environment to bring it to the fore. Uh, is that a misperception or is there an acceleration? And if so, why do you think the... Uh, this accelerated adoption is happening now. Well, Don, you're right. I mean, for a long time, uh, at the time, it was ARCOM Control Systems and IBM. We had this technology, and we were winning projects, but it wasn't being widely adopted. And then this thing happened here, what, you know, 10, 8, 10 years ago called cloud computing. And all of a sudden, we had access to these massive amounts of computing information, but we needed to be able to have our devices talk to that. And so at the time, Andy and I had gotten um, MQTT, we had gotten it into the Eclipse Software Foundation. From there, we got it through the OASIS standards body. So we, we kind of built the infrastructure. We have standards now. We have open source, very mature open source software. But then the Internet of Things happened, and people found out that things like Raspberry Pis, they could start putting MQTT on because it was so easy to implement. It was so easy to deploy. And so now you start seeing this proliferation of things like Raspberry Pis and, and you could go download MQTT for just about every programming language. And from that, it started to take off and we were starting to get the conversation in the... Um, industrial sector. So we started hearing of that. And I think that's why all of a sudden it's like MQTT came out, it like disappeared, and now it's resurging over the last four or five years. Sure. No, I, I can really see that. But I, I still ended up in just my own side reading and stuff, getting a little bit troubled about something that I, I would like your comments on. While there are, gosh knows how many dis different consortia around the subject of the industrial Internet of Things or Industry 4.0 or the digital enterprise. And these, uh, these alliances and these consortia companies are all coming on board. You go to a conference these days, you don't see anybody's backdrop to their booth that doesn't have the IoT on it 
in one way or another. And yet, I'd like your comment on, on some numbers that I saw from the World Economic Forum recently that I think talk of a problem that's running pretty deep in the real adoption of real solutions. Their research said that 84% of business leaders expect the IOT to disrupt their operating models in the next five years. That's a pretty heavy, comprehensive, I mean, a very big number, say it's going to disrupt us. Then the same study says 7% of those leaders have a comprehensive IOT strategy. They know where they're going. To me, that says, oh, my God, 73% by, re by this research have none at all. Now, here we have research saying there's going to be $100 trillion worth of economic benefit in the next seven years coming to IOT, to industrial organizations through IOT. We have all of the possibilities. Everybody knows it's going to disrupt their business operation. And less than one out of 10 has a clue of how they're going to accomplish getting that value. So, so, so why the big gap? And how do we approach bridging that gap? Well, Don, that is interesting. But, but the, the notion here is that what you're saying is that we're going to go from an operational technology base that has taken us the last 45, 50 years to build up, and then in a matter of a few years, we're going to switch that to a total uh, a digital transformation, and we're going to do that in one failed swoop. And I think that's what's scaring most of the customers right now are not scaring them, but they're, they're in analysis paralysis. Like, how do I start? What do I really do is step one. Exactly. And, you know, we, we had talked about this. You know, we were saying you can't eat the elephant all in one setting, but you can eat the elephant, you know, a small piece at a time. So as these, these companies look at technology, one of the things that, that I like to point out when we're talking about MQTT and digital transformation is that, um, one of the, I did a TED talk here four or five years ago, and one of the notions I had is that the Internet of People took off because of this thing, this tech protocol actually called HTTP. It wasn't perfect, but people could get their hands on it, they could implement it, and that's how web browsers came about, and that was the explosion of the Internet of People. And I think what we're seeing here is the cusp of everybody agreeing that technologies like MQTT. We're going to bring those in to the industrial sector. We're going to stop talking about all of these poll response protocols. We're going to implement a messaging technology that's going to let us then adopt and address those 73% of indu industries that don't know what they're going to do next because really there's no technology to address it. Yeah, when you think about that, though, you're also dealing with one of, I think, 45 years of embedded thinking and systems and development for traditional poll response and traditional view of how you architect and build out the topology for some sort of industrial solution. So I've heard you comment on this before, is that we really need to fundamentally get people to think differently about their architecture. They got to stop connecting devices to applications, and they got to start connecting those devices and the data they have into infrastructure. So that is a shift. The decoupling of that device from that application is a shift in mindset, and it and it talks of a whole new approach to architecture. Can you at least succinctly comment on why that's so important and, and, and what it does to, to facilitate this transformation? Well, sure, Don. And, and again, 
I've been in the industry. You know, I'm not. We did with the reason we did poll response protocols. We did it for the right reason. You know, let's go all the way back to the fact that we had multi-drop phone lines. There were it's like a it was like your old uh, uh, party line phone line, right? You had to ring it up, and if somebody else was already in the phone, you couldn't talk. And so we had to invent poll response protocols in the beginning. But in 2018, with technologies like TCP/IP, it just doesn't make sense. So what we're talking about here is this new architecture. Is what if you could imagine that you connect devices to infrastructure and then you connect applications to infrastructure, best-in-class applications, new applications, and then you've got a one-to-many data architecture. You've got an architecture that's plug-and-play. You've got an architecture that's efficient, and you've got an architecture that's secure. No, that totally makes sense. So I, I have just maybe one final question before we, uh, before we move to, to wrapping this up, and that is, so why now? I mean, come on, you and Andy were working on this 20 years ago. Uh, I understand the need has accelerated with the cloud and big data and machine learning and all the things people are trying to do, but, but why now? Well, Don, you know, it's funny you should mention that because... You know, when I was working with IBM and all this, we, we were taking a IT down to OT approach. We were, you know, IT is coming into OT, and, oh, you should be doing this, and you should be doing that. The problem was they didn't have the paradigm experience, and, and nor should they, of, you know, what is a, a PID control loop, or what is a 4 to 20 milliamp device, or what are limit switch open on, open on a motor-operated valve. But in the meantime, we weren't able to show it on a best-in-class SCADA system. And unfortunately, it took Ignition 17 years <laughs> to basically come out with the fact that they're going to put the best-in-class MQT technology on their platform. So I think the big thing here is that instead of Arlen drawing pictures on the whiteboard and you trusting me on an 18-month project that this is going to work, we can walk in ask you what brand of PLC, RTU, flow computer, industrial control machine you've got, and then we can demo it to you in 30 minutes using Ignition. Sure. Now, I have to say this because you've taken us to task on how slow we were to make Ignition before, but you have to realize that when you were 20 years into your career and talking to Andy about this, the key developers that are behind the Ignition platform, with the exception of our CEO, Steve Heckman, those key developers were in middle school and high school, Arlen. So give them a break. <laughs> okay. They've been moving pretty fast since well, they, got the, they got the picture. Right? There you go. Okay. So all, all kidding aside, if you, if you take a look at where this is going, and I think probably wrapping this up so that, so that our, our, our listeners can get a little closure on our conversation today, but is there any kind of a, maybe final thought? I mean, certainly... Inductive automation is, is very excited about the evolution of the new architecture, of the industrial Internet of Things, because Ignition is a platform that plays as a part of the tool set necessary to accomplish that transformation. But any final words you have for just uh, the audience on the evolution, role of MQTT, where you see industries going, anything to just wrap up here? Well, Don, the most interesting thing to me in the last three years that we've been working with inductive automation is this this very exciting ecosystem that we've put together. I still remember that at the keynote last year at the Inductive Community Conference that I, I stated that I've had half a dozen integrators come up to me and said, Arlen, you've made SCADA fun again. 
You've made it interesting. You've made it relevant to the millennial engineers. We've got an ecosystem of 35, 40 OEMs now that we didn't even know about three years ago. We've got people putting together these systems. So having this, being able to roll it out, say it's here, it's available, it's IAOT, and it's, we can put it in today. That's what excites me. Yeah, I have to say that excites me too. It's a really, it's it's a fun game to see. So many of these industrial organizations get excited again about what they're doing, and to see those integrators get excited again. Exactly, it's not status quo anymore. Yeah. It's not the entrenched players driving the market. It's the customers coming to us saying, "I want to do this," and us being able to show them how to do it. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy, so thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to more work into the future. As do I. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners. This is a quick reminder to subscribe to our podcast if you're enjoying the conversations. Also, if you have a topic or a question you'd like us to cover, or if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode, then please send your inquiries to podcast at inductiveautomation.com. <laughs>